Impact of Influence, the tragic story of a powerful South Carolina family and the mysterious deaths that they are linked to. So glad you're joining us again. First timers, welcome. We love it that you have been sharing this and giving in this lovely five-star reviews. I am Matt Harris. She is Seton Tucker. Good day, Seton. How are you? Good. How are you? Good, good. This is a big episode because we are talking to an ER doctor later in this episode, and he's going to comment on the few pages that were released by Alex's attorneys about the September 14th shooting and his head wound. So we're going to dive into that with an ER doctor. And that's pretty cool because there's been a lot of questions about that, whether it was real, fake, this or that, or could it happen? ER doctor will give his opinion. But we begin with the 911 calls on September 4th. And we want to start with the witness. So we will begin with that again this is the day, September 4th. If you're just joining us, what happened on that day was Alec Murdoch reported that he had been shot by someone helping him as he had a flat tire. We later find out that according to Alec, he, Alec says he hired Eddie Smith to shoot him in his suicide for hire pack, get $10 million for his son, Buster. And Eddie says, that's not the way it went down. You can listen to our previous episodes to get deets on that. But let's begin. Here is September 4th, call to 911 by some people who saw Alec on the side of the road. Hampton County 911, where's your emergency? Yes, um, we're on... Sakahatchee Road, and uh-huh. there is a man on the side of the road with blood all over him, and he's waving his hands. He just laying there, fl- waving his hands around? Fine. He looks fine, but it kind of looks like a setup, so we didn't stop. Oh, I don't blame you. What area of Sakahatchee Road are you on? I don't like to tell you we're like halfway down Sakahatchee Road. Well, let me get my deputies in that area to see what's going on. Can you give me a description of that mail? Uh... I'm going to say he's probably in his 40s. Okay. He's not very large, but he's kind of heavy set. Uh, okay. White hair, and it's a black, some kind of SUV, like a smaller Kia SUV or something. Uh huh. Yeah. And it stopped where he's at? Say what? You said that SUV is stopped where he's at? I, I couldn't understand what you said. The SUV is right where he's at as well? He's pulled over on the side of the road. There's no damage to the SUV. Mm-hmm. The caution lights on. Okay. The trunk, the trunk of it was open. Okay. All right. Well, let me get my deputies headed to that area. What's your name and a good contact number for you? Bill, um, I have my adult, uh, deputies headed out that way, okay? All right. All right. So thank you. No problem. Well, a couple of takeaways from that. Uh, one is they say there is blood all over him. Though he looks fine. Yeah, they say he didn't look, appear to be injured. And because he is, although he's bloody. He's bloody. And they say it looks like a setup, which I assume they're referring to, for those who don't know, this road is very rural. It, we both have been down at Seton and I when we were down there looking around in this case. And you could see how someone might think, okay, when they say it's a setup, as in they're going to pull over and then someone's going to carjack us or something right, like that. Right, someone's going to jump out and rob, right. rob them. Now, Alex 
is going to be happy that he said he was in his 40s because Alex in his 50s. And Alex's not going to be happy because he said it was a Kia, but it was actually a Mercedes. Uh, Mercedes. <laughs> He's like, why don't they pay for the Mercedes when they think it looks like a Kia? So he, uh, uh, this blood all over him. They say the trunk is open. That's another thing worth mentioning because that's when Alec was trying to make it look like a flat tire. Maybe he was fixing the tire. But he's waving his his hands around and, you know, just seemed suspicious to them, so much so that they did not want to pull over and assist him. And we should also point out that we did a little bit of editing on that one, only because they go through a lot of trying to figure out where in Sakahachi Road they were uh, and, and specifically which location. And so I don't think you needed to go through all that so we kept we just want to let you be very clear that we did edit a little bit now we did not edit any of this first uh alec murdoch call to 911 on september 4th let's hear that hampton county 911 was your emergency oh no i'm road Okay, what's the address on Sakahatchee Road? I'm by the church. Uh, what church? Here? What church are you talking about? Uh, I don't know the name of it with the red roof. Okay, what end of Sakahatchee Road? Because I don't know where you're talking about. Um, at the Hampton County side. Okay. What's going on? I stop. I got a flat tire, mm-hmm. and I stopped, and somebody stopped to help me. And when I turned my back, they tried to shoot me. Oh, okay. Were you shot? Yes, but okay. I mean, I'm okay. You shot where? Where were you shot at? Huh? Did they actually shoot you? Or they tried to shoot you. They shot me, but. Uh- Okay, wait, you need EMS? Uh, well, I mean, yes, I, I can't drive. Okay. And I'm bleeding a lot. Where, where part of your body? Uh, I'm not sure, somewhere on my head. Your head? Somebody just stopped for me, ma'am. Um, for 911. Okay, still? Hey. Okay, let me speak to him, see if he can tell me exactly where you are. Okay, and what's your name? I'm still here. I'm going to stay on the line with you. What's your name? Alex Murdoch. Alex Murdoch? Yes, ma'am. And you see you were driving, you got a flat tire, somebody stopped to help you, and they shot you? Well, they pulled over, yes, ma'am, like they were going to help me. Okay, stay on the line with me. We're going to get some. I'm bleeding pretty bad. Okay. Stay on. St. John's Missionary Church. St. John's Missionary Church? Yes, ma'am. Okay. And can you give me a description of the person that shot you or shot at you? Yes, ma'am. I mean, it was a a white fella. Uh, I'd say a white male, a fair amount younger than me, uh, really, really short hair. Um, 
You have an ambulance coming in? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Stay on the line. I got them on the way. You think one of y'all can drive me to the hospital? Yes, sir. You want to get the truck, though, because I got a baby in the back. What are y'all to get in this car and drive me? Uh, yes, sir. I'm here. They're gonna drive me to the hospital, ma'am. Ma'am. I'm still here, sir. They they're on the way. Don't hang. Don't hang up. Okay, that was uh, unedited. We left everything in on that call. He got disconnected. He calls back, and we'll get to that in a moment. Seton, takeaways? Okay, so what seemed really strange for me is that he doesn't really mention that he was shot until almost a minute into that conversation. She doesn't ask, though. No, she doesn't ask. For 48 seconds, you know, he seems really calm for someone who has just been shot in the head. Um, Also, the obvious the description of Eddie doesn't match what he tells the 911. That's probably on purpose when we look back, right? Right. Now that we know that he claims he paid Eddie. So he has really, really short hair, overcompensated for the fact that Eddie has long hair. He seems really calm, but he also doesn't sound like someone who is wanting to commit suicide. I mean, he's asking for an ambulance. He, you know, says he's bleeding pretty badly. You know, he's seeking medical attention. That doesn't seem like someone who's necessarily wanting to kill themselves. Well, at that point, let's play the devil's advocate, whatever. They say that he's very high. When I say they, his attorneys say he was very high that day. He also had Smitty attempt the suicide deal. But if it didn't go, doesn't go right, well, and- then he's got to... Go along with the story at that point. And lots of people try to kill themselves and then change their minds midway through. Um, But I also thought it was interesting that someone actually did stop. I mean, we heard the first caller who was definitely, things seemed off to that caller. They did not want to stop. This person actually did stop. And so I think there were a lot of questions about this mystery Good Samaritan who stopped. But now from the 911 call, it does appear that this person actually does exist. Uh, What is... A side note, weird thing to me is that they're going to drive him. He says the a young lady was driving to the hospital, white Nissan Rogue. It's a very nice young lady, but I assume you would want an ambulance to come. They never tell you to, like, if you see somebody injured on the side of the road, throw them in the back of your car and drive them to a hospital. Well, I but think this, they were so rural that maybe they just felt like it was, nice taking, it was taking so long for the ambulance to get there and to, That maybe they felt like they needed to get somewhere more quickly than they didn't want to wait on the ambulance. But I do think most people would just wait on the ambulance. Right. I don't do blood in my car, and I'm not, you don't look like it's life threatening. But so he gets disconnected. uh, And that's, do you want to go to the third call now? After they lost connection, and he's got the young lady driving to the hospital in a Nissan Rogue. We did edit a little bit of this one, just a little bit, because there's a lot of, silence and it seems to be a little disorganized or confused as to who's like the operator is talking to the ambulance i think she's talking to police she's talking so there's and a you lot can of also parts. hear other people in the background talking other operators so it's yeah just a lot of dead space so we just took some of that out but nothing that 
that Alec was saying or nothing that was important to the, the call. It was just downtime or the 911 operator talking to services to get him out here. But here, here's the, the rest of that call. Yeah, it should be current. Okay. Okay, now it is. 911, where's your emergency? That's when I lost you. This young lady is driving me to the hospital. She's carrying you to the hospital? Yes, ma'am. <clears throat> okay. And who is this? This is Alec Murdoch. I was on the phone a minute ago. Okay. All right. They said he said that somebody's taking him to the hospital. Okay. Oh yeah. Got Ma'am, I need the ambulance. You need the ambulance? Okay. Where are you still in the same location? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Which way are y'all heading? Are y'all still? Are y'all driving down the road? No, ma'am. No. I got a flat tire. Okay. All right. Sit, sit tight right there, okay? Ma'am? Okay. Yes, sir. We're still here. We're still here. Hold on. We're dispatching now, giving them information. Where, where are you at? I want to get this all over your car. All right, now they're taking me to the hospital. Okay, so which way are y'all traveling? Um, we're coming down Saukahatchee Road to the Hampton Hospital. Y'all coming down Saukahatchee? Ma'am? Y'all coming down Saukahatchee Road to your ho to the hospital? Yes, ma'am. Okay. They're, they sit... They said that they're coming down. They're coming down. Stop heading right heading towards the hospital. But all right, we're gonna keep EMS en route to you. Okay. Okay. Are you coming off of Walterburg Highway? Uh, we'll be at Walterburg Highway in uh, ten minutes or so. They said in about ten minutes or so they'll be at Walterburg Highway. They're here. Okay. I'm gonna hang up now. Okay. So again, we did edit a little bit of that, just but nothing that Alex, but any uh, Alex words that are on there. Even you could catch some of the background stuff. He's explaining to the the woman in the Nissan Rogue. I can hear him say, "I was getting a flat tire." He's like he's telling her the story, and, yeah, in the background, and then he tells her again the other the nine one one operator. She's like, are you going to drive the hospital? No, flat tire. Does not anybody remember my story about the flat tire? <laughs> How about the bullet in your head, Alec? Definitely telling himself that we again. We don't need to and laugh, but it just... He's talking to... It don't, I know, it's 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 just bizarre, as are so many things with this whole Murdoch mess. And but he's so, like, and he wasn't... The, the tragedy of the homicides, too, when he called 911 of his wife and son... Very southern, polite with a yes sir, no sir, he's, yes ma'am, no ma'am, all the way. I mean, this. I might be like I've been bleeping, bleeping, and shot yes. in the bleeping head. I mean, he, even hear him say to the the woman in the rogue, "I don't want to get this all over your car." Right. You he say, he say says yes ma'am to the operator many times. He's still he's very calm on both of these nine one one calls. He knows what 
Well, in this case, he knows that it was all a setup thing. I assume he thinks he's not dying. I would assume. The only thing we don't really find out from the 911 calls is we know that there was an air ambulance that came and picked him up and took him to this Savannah Memorial Hospital. And um, we don't know the details of exactly how that happened. I'm, I'm thinking it's something when they assessed him in the ambulance that they made that decision. I mean, he was headed to Hampton Hospital, which is not a level one trauma center. So if they felt he needed a level one trauma center, he would either go to MUSC or Savannah. Yes. Okay. So let's uh, go to our ER doctor. Alex, medical records made in the hours after the September 4th shooting where he claimed he was being shot. And we went through that. The records were released to Alex attorneys who then released him to the state, which is a newspaper, the Island Packet newspaper and Buford Gazette newspaper. Uh, Harpootlian, Dick Harpootlian and Jim Griffin gave those outlets the records. And they aren't full records, but they are partial records. And so we wanted to get a take of an ER doctor on what his take on these was. Introduce us to our physician. Yes, we have Dr. Dan Brown. He's been an ER doctor in the state of South Carolina for over 20 years, and we just thought it would be best to bring on an expert to help us break down these medical records. Uh, Welcome, Dr. Brown. And I think, Matt, you've got the first question. Uh, So I assume you've seen the report that was released by Alec Murdoch's attorneys. What what jumps out at you when you read that uh, report? Well, I, it's, I, it's not a report. I've got four pages um, selected out of a um, you know a medical record that's apparently much longer than that. Um, I think that is important to note that they've released only selected portions of it. So obviously they're going to release the portions that are benefiting them the most. So yeah, well, Dick Harpootlian said that they couldn't get all the records. At one point, he said he couldn't get them all for some reason. So anyway, what what do you, out of those four pages? What do you notice? Well, there's quite a bit here. You know, the, the paramedics on scene uh, noted that there were two wounds uh, on the top of the head and described what Mr. Uh, Murdoch, you know, related to them about what happened to him. Um, when he arrived in the emergency department, you know, he was placed in a trauma bay as a, as a level one uh, trauma, evaluated there. The evaluation included a, a plain film skull x-ray that was read and interpreted as negative. And then he had a follow-up CT scan of the brain that revealed um, revealed injuries consistent with a gunshot wound uh, to the head. Well, one thing, a question I had is, how is the protocol with if someone is coming in, are they automatically uh, classified as a level one or is, does that happen when they get to the hospital? No, that happens based on the information uh, received before arrival. So typically, if a patient is in transport, um, there's a, a call uh, over the radio to uh, a physician in the uh, emergency department uh, and you know, information is relayed about the mechanism and nature of the injury, you know, the, uh, the status of the patient. And based on that, um, it, a decision is made whether to alert the full trauma 
uh, or to, you know, to activate the full level one trauma system, which would involve uh, having people um, paged, available and ready to go if it's a level one trauma. But that's all done based on um, information that's received prior to the patient's arrival. Okay, you said that uh, the wound was consistent with a gunshot. Does that mean a bullet went through the skull or like skimmed off the skull or what does that mean? Yeah, apparently in this case, um, the uh, the bullet entered uh, the scalp uh, from behind uh, the patient, um, did enough damage to the skull to cause a skull fracture and to, uh, to even uh, reflect some uh, bony particles forward. And then the bullet uh, exited, um, you know, t- towards the, the front of the patient. And, uh, but also did enough damage to the brain or, you know, to the area around the brain to cause bleeding in the subdural space and the subarachnoid space. So he had intracranial bleeding as well. So it completely went through. The, the bullet bullets. itself never apparently penetrated through the skull. Okay. So does that, is that the reason why he was able to, uh, Matt, do you want to do the timeline? Because um, we're, a lot of people have questioned how quickly the injury occurred versus when he got out of the hospital. It seemed like it was a pretty quick time frame. So- Saturday, Saturday uh, was the shooting and, and taken uh, by medevac away and then Monday released. Yeah, that that doesn't surprise me at all. I I know that there's been some questions raised about why he was placed in the ICU and then why released so quickly. Um, In my experience, the way he was managed was exactly per protocol and exactly the way I would have managed him under the, you know, under this uh, setting. He came in, you know, any patient that um, that we get a call in that has had a gunshot wound to the head. That mechanism alone is enough to make them a level one trauma. Uh, you know, the expectation is that that could do a lot of harm and we want to be ready, um, you know, to manage that and have the people there available and ready to do it. So a level one trauma would have been called the system. That system would have been activated. In this particular case, he was an extremely lucky individual in the, in the sense that the bullet did not actually penetrate through the skull although it, it did fracture his skull and, and cause some underlying bleeding. So the, the, you know, a very appropriate way to manage that would it have been to put him in the ICU. Um, they ordered Q1 hour neuro checks, which is appropriate to make sure he doesn't deteriorate. Um, he didn't have enough blood there to um, necessitate that it be surgically evacuated. So he was placed, watched, had a repeat CT scan done, apparently, to make sure that the bleeding remained stable. He was watched for a couple of days. He remained stable and then discharged. Now, so the bullet, okay, just to double check, the bullet did not go through the skull. It just did the damage. It might have put a, knocked like a chip of the skull into the brain or something. Um, actually, it didn't knock a chip into the brain necessarily. It, it, it did um, crack the skull, the the bony fragments are actually on the opposite side, you know, on the skin side rather than the brain side. But it, you know, you could get hit in the head 
and um, you know, nothing penetrate your brain. You know, if somebody hits you in the head with a hammer, they might not even fracture your skull. Nothing penetrate your skull, but you could do a lot of damage to the tissue underneath. Still, um, you know, a bullet is a high velocity um, a projectile that um, you know carries with it a lot of force and can do damage to tissue that it doesn't actually penetrate through. So, um, you know, ha having that, um, the bleeding there that's noted with the, you know, with the skull fracture, um, the two wounds that were initially thought to be two separate gunshot wounds by the paramedics on scene turned out to be an entry and an exit wound. Um, it, it, that, I mean, that's all very consistent to me. I'm getting confused because you say an entry and exit, but it didn't. It didn't enter the skull. It so didn't like, penetrate the skull, but it penetrated the scalp. Oh, oh okay, okay, okay. So it, that's where it, I was getting it confused. Entered the scalp from behind. Gotcha. We're at, at the area you know that we call the the parietal bone, which is the bone on the very top of your head. Um, entered the scalp did damage to the skull, did damage to the tissue under the skull, uh, including some bleeding into spaces around the brain, and then, um, and then exited back out uh, through the scalp towards the patient's front or face. Uh, okay, now okay. it makes sense well, to Let's me. describe the situation that Eddie Smith described with his attorney. I guess when Smith says that he showed up uh, to help Alec out, he wasn't aware. He had done some handyman work for him. He shows up, and Alec is asking him to shoot him in the head. And he says he did not want to shoot him in the head, so they kind of scuffle for the gun. He was trying to get the gun away from him. The gun did go off during, while he was, according to what he says, while he was wrestling the gun away from him, um, says the gun did go off and ricocheted off the car, but did not hit him. Um, so is it possible that this ricocheted bullet did, in fact, hit him? Yeah, I, you know, I, there's no way that I can, um, you know, based on these four pages of medical records, give an opinion about whether this was a ricocheted bullet or not. I mean, okay. it, this could have been a bullet fired directly at him, or it could have been a bullet that ricocheted off of something. We don't actually have the bullet itself. You know, the bullet wasn't retained in his tissue. Um, so th th there's, there's, I, I have nothing to go on as far as, gotcha. you know, expressing an opinion about that. Is it possible, like, how quickly does a guy bleed when something like that happens? Okay, so it qu quickly happens. I tussle with somebody, somebody gets shot, and then I just grab the gun and I leave, and I'm looking and I'm looking at him face to face. And obviously, you said he was hitting the back of the head. Is there blood gushing immediately, or is it like a little delay, or do you have any way to tell? Um, usually, I mean, the scalp is is very vascular, so it it tends to bleed. There wouldn't have been, you know, any real delay. It's not like, you know, you fall off your bike and skin your knee yeah. and then you see that little white area and then, you know, suddenly then, you know, capillary blood fills that up. And, um, you know, when, when you're a kid falling off your bike, it wouldn't have been like that. This, this would have bled, but not necessarily a whole lot. Um, the, okay. the paramedics told the air ambulance service that they thought that it was a small caliber weapon. The air ambulance 
um, service made a note in their record that they didn't know what the EMS team was basing that opinion on. But, you know, these the the two wounds could have been quite small, depending on on the caliber of the weapon. Would you shave uh, somebody's head when that happened, like that spot or anything? Yeah, because uh, let's tell Dan, like, when the – just how many days after this accident did he appear in court for the bond hearing? It was 12 days. Okay, so 12 days after he was shot, he appears in court for his bond hearing. And he has absolutely no visible wound. Nothing was shaved. There's no Band-Aid. So I think at this point, public outcry was like, wait, this does not make any sort of sense. Yeah, that, that doesn't surprise me either. I mean, if he had uh, two wounds on the top of his head, you know, the, the, the wounds on his scalp could have been fairly small. Um, they would not have shaved his head. That, that they would not have. We've actually stopped, even for pretty significant scalp wounds that we have to repair, we've stopped shaving heads. The, um, some studies have shown that you actually increase the risk of infection if you shave close to the skin because of micro abrasions. Um, and so, so even if we have to repay, you know, we, we get some pretty nasty scalp injuries. Um, uh, typically we'll take a pair of scissors and just trim the hair away enough, you know, to get to the wound, gotcha. uh, to, um, you know, to repair it, but we, but we don't shave heads anymore. Mm. And, um, uh, or at least close. I mean, we don't shave them close to the skin and these, you know, I, I don't have enough of the record here to right. know whether they put some, some staples or sutures in those wounds or not. But, but if the, when he, um, so he was bandaged on scene. I think that the air ambulance team removed those bandages and then replaced them while he was in route. Um, they noted the wound to be um, hemostatic at that time, meaning it wasn't actively bleeding. And the um, I know that the um, uh, that in the emergency department he was hemostatic, so he oh. wasn't he by the by that time he wasn't even bleeding oh, wow. uh, in the ER. I think the the uh, the only other thing we need to cover is his attorneys also in this four page report uh, gives the toxicology report, and he is positive for barbiturates, and opioids. And I think they're kind of presenting this as proof that he did have, I don't know if that's why they're presenting it, but that that's the information they gave as maybe possible proof that he did have this alleged opioid addiction. Is that normal to do a drug test or is that something maybe they requested or what? No, that's pretty standard you know, for a trauma patient that comes in like that. Um, there's a, there's a, a, a trauma panel of labs that just automatically get drawn, and um, and a urine drug screen would have been included in that. Did his numbers look? Are the numbers on I there? Mean, I is, see is that proof that he? I know it would be proof that he has an addiction, but is that proof that he was did he pretty ha- high that he <laughs> had taken opioids prior to this incident? No, actually, he was given fentanyl in the helicopter uh, on the ride for he was complaining of head pain. Um, so fentanyl is an opiate, um, that, you know, could have made hit, you know, this urine drug screen positive all by itself. So it's impossible based on the drug screen to know whether or not he had taken, um, extrinsic opioids, whether he had some other opioid in his system prior to 
this incident. But but he also the does t- test positive for our barbiturates, and he was not as as far as I know, based on just these you know four pages. I don't see evidence that he was administered or a barbiturate before his urine drug screen was was um, was collected. And a barbiturate could be a sleeping pill of some sort. Yeah. So so barbiturates are um, they're sedative um, anxiolytic. Um, uh, medications, uh, used for a lot of things, uh, you know, to treat anxiety, to treat, um, they're, they're included in some headache medications, um, commonly used to treat seizure disorders, um, but also, uh, drugs of abuse. They're, they, they are abused. Uh, uh, phenobarbital is a, you know, it's a real common, um, commonly used and, and abused, um, barbiturate, uh, Fioracet, which is prescribed for headaches and, you know, and migraine headaches has barbiturates in it. And, um, you know, that that's a drug that gets, um, gets abused. Um, so it's certainly a drug of abuse, um, and, and used that way, um, opiates as well. But again, in this case, you know, he was administered the fentanyl in the helicopter. So it's just, it's just not possible to, for me to know whether, that, you know, whether we're seeing the fentanyl or whether, you know, there was also something else, it doesn't rule something else out, but it, it does cloud that picture some. And and it's important to note that this is a qualitative screen. So um, they have, they actually published the cutoff levels, you know, immediately above the, um, uh, the results. If you have less than that cutoff level, it's going to be listed as negative on the screen. If you have above that, it's going to be listed as positive. But beyond that, they're not measuring an amount. So you you don't know how much um, barbiturate is present, except that it's over the threshold of 200 nanograms per milliliter for this particular test. And you don't know how much um, opiates are involved, except that it's above the cutoff for this test, which is 300 nanograms per milliliter. Um, but um, so, so all this is saying is just yes or no, it's present, but not how much is present. Wow. Oh, hey, one more question. I know when I was on the Educated Debutante the other night, they mentioned several people, I think she actually mentioned that could these records be not legit? Would they, you know, could someone... Oh, could they fake it or something? Yeah, could they fake these records? Well, if, if somebody faked these, they, they're, they were really good at it. Um, you know, cause they've included details that I don't think anybody other than a trauma physician would think to include, but also it would, that would be a very simple thing to, um, to, to confirm or not. I mean, the, the address of the hospital is right on these records. If these are faked, the hospital, I'm sure, would disown them. Well, you, you were you were fantastic. I mean, this yeah. was a great, great insight into everything. Yeah, very informative for those of us who are not medical. Okay, you had Seton, you had mentioned that you had a question about um, um, the impact of um, COVID. A lot of people also said on about COVID. You know that hospitals are full and. How could he possibly get a bed in the ICU with, you know, COVID flaring right now? Yeah, well, fortunately, you know, in, in, there have been isolated incidents in the United States where COVID has filled up ICUs to the point where there are literally no beds. 
And, um, and, and that does happen. I mean, that, you know, even without COVID, I've been in ERs where we've had to board patients in the ER waiting for an ICU bed to become available. Uh, that, that happens a lot. But fortunately, we have, in general, been able to still take care of everybody that needs to be taken care of in this country. And, um, and it's, so somebody who's been shot in the head and needs an ICU bed would very likely have been able to get one. The, the fact that he was put in the ICU just, you know, during COVID is, is not in and of itself anything to raise any questions or concerns in my mind. Good. Thank you, Dr. Brown. Really appreciate it. Yeah, we really, this has been very insightful for those of us who are not medical. We appreciate it. And thanks again for coming on. Absolutely. Happy to do it. Thank you. That was cool. I liked that uh, interview. It gave us some real uh, insight that I haven't seen a lot of places. No, I definitely think it's important to talk to professionals who understand better than just a regular person. Right. Just us. We're regular people. Uh, We also want to tell you about the Stephen Smith uh, benefit that's going on. Yes, it's going to be in Columbia, South Carolina on October 30th, and you can find out information about that event on their Facebook page, which is Standing for Stephen. We also have a link on our Facebook page, which is Murdoch Podcast. And uh, once again, you want to thank your friends over at the Facebook page where you do the Facebook Live stuff? Yes, Tales of the Educated Debutante. So we addressed some of the questions that we got from listeners to that the other night so hopefully people found it informative there you go murdoch podcast is where you can hit us up on facebook with any comments you may have and thanks again we are always grateful and we just aim to get justice for all those involved did you guys hear about that couple that went on vacation and one spouse murdered the other in fact the entire vacation was planned just so that they could make the murder look like an accident. Ah, so like a slaycation. Oh boy, sounds like a fun new true crime podcast to me. On every episode of Slaycation, we'll examine true cases of people who were killed while on vacation. Was it murder? (coughs) Or just a horrible accident? (coughs) That's up to you and the law to decide. But either way, if you leave four-year vacation in the plane and come home under the plane, you've definitely gone on a slaycation. Join us every week for a fascinating new episode. 911, what's your emergency? But make sure to pack your body bags, because getting away can be murder. This is Slaycation. From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule, history so interesting, it's criminal.